Robots Radio. Games. Lore. Stories. Community. Just press play. Welcome, weary traveler. Need a short rest? Oh, I see. They said you'd be showing up about now. Come on, through the portal. Best not keep the Lord Mistress and Lord Master waiting. You know how they get. Robots Radio presents The Dungeons and Dragons Lorecast. The best way for everyone from experienced dungeon masters to those curious about D&D to learn more about the worlds, creatures, and lore of Dungeons and Dragons. Hello and welcome to the Dungeons and Dragons Lorecast. My name is Sergio. My name is Sean. And this week on the Lorecast, this is this this topic, this week's topic, is inspired in part by a discussion that was was being had on the D and D Lorecast Discord. Uh, in particular, a discussion that was headed by our listener Phantom Warlord, and the discussion was about sentient weapons—weapons weapons that have a will of their own, that have uh, a drive of their own. Weapons like uh, Craven Edge from the Legend of Vox Machina from Critical Role or um, the Sword of Kaz, which is prevalent in the lore from of Vecna. Uh, what are some of your favorite sentient weapons in fantasy lore, T.A. Sean? Well, the first one, um, well, that springs to mind, the only one that's springing immediately to mind is a sentient sword from the Brandon Sanderson fantasy novel uh, Warbreaker. The sword is called Nightblade, and... Um, it's very bloodthirsty, but also very innocent. Uh, so there's sort of a um, a dissonance, if you will, between um, you know how it basically uh, how it pursues its goals uh, of of getting blood, but also uh, trying to be helpful and kind of sweet at the same time, I guess. Okay, I immediately think of Lore Mistress Mary's uwu voice when uh, when you tell me bloodthirsty but cute. And so, um, Mary, upon listening to this, you need to uh, post something on the Discord. Uh, something that uh, that night Nightbreaker was it? Uh, Nightblade. Nightblade. Something that Nightblade would say um, in its bloodthirsty yet cute demeanor. Uh, it's gonna. It's going to give you night. It's nightmare fuel is what it is. <laughs> um, so the sentient sword or the sentient weapon in general is something that's prevalent in fantasy. And the one that we're going to talk about this week is a sword. Once the sword of legendary drow weapons master Dantrag Bainray, Kazidheya, 
or cutter, as it's colloquially known as, has a mind of its own. The longsword has a demonic intelligence that can aid and shape itself to the tastes of its user and only demands combat and blood in return. Like it wants to be used to kill people, to kill things. Which I mean, it's a sword. I mean, it's what what it'll need to do, I guess. Um, It's always be weirder if it like wanted to go on picnics or um, you know Ferris wheels or you know, like it. It seems like a pretty straightforward bargain. I'm just like I'm "I'm a sword. I'm I'm a sword. I'm made to stab things. Use me to stab things. Yeah. Uh, It always seeks the most skilled hand. uh, Someone like Dred Stuarden, whose hands it's been in several times throughout the course of its history. Uh, or only those with the strongest of wills, someone like Caterbury, who came into its possession and through her own will was able to bend, you know, bend it to its uh, to her whim, was able to master it. So only someone with one of those two skill sets, either skill with a blade or a strong will, can resist its temptations because it'll tempt. Un- I guess unlike uh, Nightblade. It it wants you to do like heinous like stuff. Like it doesn't matter. It's very, uh, you know, it doesn't matter what kind of combat it is. It just it wants to see it, and so it's not trying to be helpful in that sense by any stretch. So, Kazetheia was a finely crafted longsword that could cut through flesh. All right, that's you know standard sword. Yeah, stuff. Okay, like sure. If you if you have a sword that can't cut through flesh, then I'm I'm sorry. You you got yourself a a, a bum sword. That's a lemon. Uh, cut through bone. Okay, we're getting better there. Uh, can cut through armor. Now you're talking. You're telling me that I can cut through someone's armor while using the sword. Well, then I, what else do I need to do? Right. Well, just in case, it could even cut through rock. So if there's someone's like, well, I'm made of flesh and bone. Okay, that okay, like I could probably probably cut through me, but I'll put on this armor. Oh, wait, your sword cut through this armor as well. Well, what if I cover myself in a pile of rocks? No, right. Even or then, hide inside a castle, or 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 something that makes more sense than hiding in a pile <laughs> of rocks. Hey, buddy, cover me up with this with these rocks. If that dude shows up with that gnarly sword, I need you to do me a solid. <laughs> You see that pile of rocks <laughs> over there? Um, so Build me the, a cairn. The, the edge of its blade glows with this almost imperceptible line of red light. So right there, you know that this, this sword means business. Uh, beyond this, the sword is able to change its pommel to appeal to a prospective wielder. For example... Uh, when Cutter was in the possession of Dantrag Bainray, the weapons master of House Bainray, the pommel of the sword appeared as a demon's head. Uh, then when Dritz subsequently defeated Dantrag in battle and took possession of the sword, Cutter changed its pommel to resemble the head of a unicorn. Of course, the unicorn is the symbol of Myliki, who is the ranger goddess that Dritz worships and follows. But before we get into more of its history, we'll we'll cover that in the uh, in the second half of the show. Let's talk about how this sword may have come into being. What are its origins? Well, like 
all good things in D and D. There are there are at least there are more than one origin. There's more than one origin story, and it kind of depends on which one you want to believe. Maybe they're both a little bit true in some way. Um, you know, definitely pick which one fits within your campaign or your adventure if you choose to use the sword. But you know, like I said, that's that's kind of the the beauty of lore. None of it, uh, none of it is untrue, and all of it is compatible somehow. <laughs> So the first version of the sword's creation we will cover has to do with an underdark region rife with Ferzes. This is a magical radiation with magical emanations that somehow granted Kazidheya its sentience. So the underdark of Faerun is rife is suffused with this magical radiation that the drow called Fezres. It's a remnant of the mighty forces that shaped the terrain of the Underdark. And so what Fezres does is it distorts and interferes with certain types of magic. So for example, uh, transmutation spells and effects such as teleport don't work reliably over great over distances greater than a mile when either the origin or the destination is within the Underdark. And what's more on on top of this is that the effects of Fezrez on spells is not widely known among surface-dwelling characters, which has got to be a a lot of fun when when a surface-dwelling character travels to the Underdark, tries to perform uh, some sort of transmutation spell, only to have it backfire on them. Yeah, yeah. It also seems like it'd be a really useful um, weapon for underdark dwellers to use against surface dwellers. As far as you know, um, you know, uh, just basically screwing with their plans or, oh, or no, uh, ab- ability to fight against them. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, according to one source, the Drow have long sought out places uh, of powerful Fazres in which to build their cities, since that magical radiation helps to frustrate spine uh, and also protect against enemy assaults. Uh, Areas of this magical radiation, whose name comes from a combination of the drow words fair and zrez, uh, which in, which in that language respectively means magic uh, and then to hold dominance or remain in force can be found all throughout the underdark. So the name uh, fazrez would mean magic that remains but originally it said that the word was reversed and so it was zeres fair which would translate to dominating magic and that alludes to the main job or task or goal of the magical radiation which is to keep the drow within the underdark which is a fascinating idea theory that there is something that is keeping this group of people in this place. You know, it's it's not of their own agency that they remain in the Underdark. I mean, obviously, the, the sunlight uh, doesn't do them damage, but, you know, the, the sun is, you know, they're somewhat blinded in it. Uh, Dritz is, is somewhat immune. I can only imagine that uh, there's a level of, um, um, you yeah, um, not immunity, but 
you know, they they would get used to it after a while. But it's sure. So that that's why they stay in the underdark because of that because of that aversion to the sun. But the idea that there's also something more sinister and something beyond their like their realm, their their scope, their ken, yeah, keeping them there is something very cool and something I want to look into for sure. Yeah, yeah, that's scratch, uh, scratch of the old lore itch. Yeah, it, well, it's it's like something on Lost, right? Like something's keeping them on the island, right? Right. It's, uh, which, which is a fun mystery to explore. So the magical energy can also be used in the construction of various powerful magic items, which is where the idea of that this was somehow responsible for Kazid Rea's existence comes into play. Now, the second version of the creation of Kazid Rea uh, that we'll cover is a bit more on the nose, but that doesn't necessarily, in my opinion, make it any better or worse, you know, than the, oh, it came to be as a result of a magical place theory, which is <laughs> very cool in its own right. Um, but this version posits that once upon a time, long ago, about if we're in the late 1400 DRs right now, almost early 1500s, this would be about 4,500 years ago. So around the third millennium before the Dale Reckoning which is how obviously the Forgotten Realms tells time. That's the the BCE, AD, BC, AD, you know, <laughs> uh, marker in Faerun. So around 4,500 years ago, there was a demonic intelligence within the abyss that was for one reason or another forced into the form of a sword. Again, you know, the sword having this sort of demonic intelligence, having a will of its own, one that seems very in keeping with the alignment of a demon. Uh, this all sort of tracks. This all sort of makes sense. It's, it's, like I said, it's a little bit more on the nose, but, you know, sometimes the things that make most sense are the things that work. That's, you know, that's why they right. work, because they make so much sense. Um, but again, you like... Oh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, again, whatever theory, whatever origin story you want to go with, if you decide to use the sword within an adventure, within a campaign, whatever it may be, uh, or make up your own. Like, if you have any theories, if you have any ideas on where the Kazadheya uh, sword came from, let us know. Jump on the Discord. Shoot us an email. Write it in the sky with an Why airplane. Not? You were gonna Treat say yourself. Something? Treat us. Oh, I was just going to ask. Um, I I know you're you're relatively agnostic when it comes to multiple explanations, but I was going to ask if you have a preference between these two. Not not as far as a DM, but just as a fan of D and D, does one of these speak to you a little more than the other? I like the first one a little bit more. Uh, like I said, I the, I... the second one's a little on the nose. I mean, it's like, uh, and like I said, that that doesn't mean it's better or worse. But you know, this is uh, the idea that. Uh, some sort of demon, some sort of devil, some sort of fiend is trapped within something and as a result can be wielded, but also um, exert some sort of agency against its wielder. You know, something that is uh, 
pretty and i don't want to say it's 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 rote but it's pretty uh, it's it's something that uh it's seen throughout fantasy you know literature uh and you know it's the a time-honored trope yeah right right and so the idea that this sword somehow came into existence as a result of this magical place this uh almost evil magical place uh to me like that I, there's more to chew on from there cuz i mean if if this came into existence because through that through those means does that mean that there are, there are other weapons or other artifacts that exist as a result of the the Fazres. right of just this magic suffusing a place right exactly yeah yeah it's true that yeah that it that seems to open more story doors like for a wider range of uh, options but um second question uh if you were forced into a magical item what would you turn into if i was forced into a magical item if i had to i have to be if I'm some, if I'm, if I'm of some sort of assume your essence takes, yeah, your essence takes on its its inanimate uh, form, basically. Like you don't get to choose it; it's just truest to what you are. So, so what what I think I would end up being, true to myself, or to what I would hope to be. Uh, what you think you would be? Um, I don't know if I have an answer for this. I'm thinking my mind's racing right now. I would probably probably be some sort of magical burrito uh, <laughs> that, that doesn't that you eat and then that um the next day reappears like in your bag. Oh, that would be good. Yeah, so you never have to as long as you have as long as you eat this burrito, as long as you consume it. I'm creating a magical <laughs> item of the week here. Uh, so long as you consume this burrito, it'll appear like, like on like in or around your bag, like you know, on your persons uh the next day. Now, if you were to lose it or you were to give it to somebody before you ate it, then well then you know it it belongs to that person. Ownership transfers, right? Right. Can you imagine if Frodo and Sam had had a bag of infinite burritos? on their trip they probably would have been a lot happier no, you know i mean limbus bread seems okay but it doesn't it seems pretty bland um yeah they would have definitely been like yeah this this trip sucks but at least we've got these burritos right <laughs> we get to split this giant ass burrito every day um and, that's and we don't have cool. to share any with Gollum. yeah and that's all right that's all right yeah Gollum <laughs> probably doesn't seem like he'd be the one he'd be into it no no He'd rather have raw rabbits or dead fish. I mean, or live fish, you know, yeah, whatever. Life, uh, raw and wriggling. Yeah, he right? says, give it to us raw and raw, raw and wriggling. You're right. Touche. What a strange young man. Yeah. Well, My answer going... is kind of boring. What's your answer? Oh, what were we going to say? Okay. I'd be a book. You'd be a book? I mean, that's... Yeah. Well, yeah. What's, the, what's the magical property of it, though? Um... It changes the contents of its pages depending on the day i guess um so you can the answers you get when you look at it don't remain this uh the things that it talks about the contents would change daily depending on whatever uh i happen to be hyper fixated on that day or 
hour or week or whatever. So like you might open it up and get a whole bunch of like Transformers lore one day. Um, which might not help you in your quest, or you might open it up and get like a lot of just like negative self-talk. Like nobody's ever gonna love you. Uh, it's it's a it's you know a just it's a gambit. Yeah, it's um. Sometimes it'll be about gambit. Yes, yeah, so it might. Yeah, <laughs> who doesn't want to know more about gambit? I always do. Uh, well, we're gonna take it to the middle of the show, and when we come back, we're gonna talk a little bit more about uh the possessors of the sword. And what kind of nefarious things it got up to. Welcome to the middle of the show where we do all of our midly housekeeping stuff for the show. Um, of course, the first thing that we always do is thank our listeners. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Thank you for supporting the show uh, simply by listening. If you want to support the show in other ways, you can definitely do so by following us on all the social medias at D&D Lorecast pretty much everywhere. And 2024 is going to be the year uh, that we finally get uh, a consistent social media presence, uh, not only on Instagram and, and X or Twitter, whatever you want to call it, um, Blue Sky and, and Threads, but also Twitch. We're finally going to start streaming. Um, in fact, that's why I spent a lot of uh, today as of this recording Um Building and failing to build uh, my new PC. Um, I have a friend helping me, although, uh, so they're going to have to just come over and, and get that sorted out. So it's it's a behemoth of a, of a build. Uh, very excited for it. And it's definitely going to, um, it's definitely strong enough to, to stream uh, not only Baldur's Gate 3, but also other fun stuff, like maybe a uh, D&D uh, watch along, any one of the movies uh, the newest and most well-received, or even some of the three older and not so well-received, maybe a mystery science theater 3000 sort of vibe for those. Um, D&D trivia or Trivial Pursuit, stuff like that. It's going to be it's gonna be a gas, I feel. It's going to be awesome. So thank you for helping support the show and uh, making us all this possible. And a special extra shout-out to the patrons of the show who um, definitely make Sort make the things that wouldn't be otherwise possible for the show to grow uh, to be possible through their Patreon support. Uh, and thank you to Derek V, the newest patron. Uh, welcome aboard. And we hope that you enjoy all of the benefits that you get. Of course, if you sign up for the Patreon over at patreon.com slash Lorecast, you get uh, ad-free bonus episodes. You can get bonus content. You can get um, sticker packs. You can get merchandise. You can get uh, invites into the uh, to the uh, patron roundtable or to the patron actual plays. A lot of cool stuff there, so definitely check it out if you're interested in uh, helping the show grow even more and becoming a uh, bigger part of this community that we're that we're building and uh, very excited to build too as well. As far as D and D news goes, uh, I want to talk about uh, I want to talk about it one more time, but. Um, the MCDM RPG, uh, the Matt Colville company, um, there, I've talked about their Kickstarter or their backer kit rather a couple of times throughout the past month or so. Well, it's finally ended and that thing, that behemoth, it, it raised $4.6 million. So to anyone saying that there isn't a market for tabletop role-playing games uh, outside of D&D. Uh, 
you can tell them $4.6 million calls you a liar. This is simply, this is just one game. This isn't, and, and, and this game it won't even come out for another year. You know, we're at the beginning of 2024. It's not slated for release until 2025. They're still working on it. They're still honing it. They're still going to have to play test a lot of it. But the fact that they raised this much money goes to show how excited people are to play tabletop role-playing games. And MCDM as a company, I don't believe they've even abandoned 5e as a whole. I mean, the, the, their RPG is built from the ground up you know, as much as possible removed from D and D and the OGL and all, and all that stuff, the, all of our preconceived notions of what a tabletop game is, but I'm pretty sure they're going to continue to, they're going to continue to um, make content for D and D. I mean, it's uh, it's, it'd be silly not to, I mean, that's, that's where a lot of, not all the money, obviously not $4.6 million of it, but that's where a lot of money uh, can be made as well. So again, just just so that you know, the tabletop games are alive and well in 2024. Uh, speaking of 2024, it is the 50th anniversary of D and D. It is the year of the dragon, and uh, we talked about this last year. They had the Lego Ideas contest for a D and D set. Uh, one, you know, there are several different options. The one that won was a was a tower with a green dragon wrapped around it, and it looks amazing. Uh, there are rumors, there isn't a release date yet, but there are rumors that this massive set is going to be released sometime in April. Uh, and there are also rumor price point is $360. Now I am not, um, I am not one of, I am not Zach. I am not a Lego maniac. Uh, but so I don't know if a set that price with a rumored piece count of over 3,700 pieces is a good price a bad price i don't know i don't know i i i the the particulars of lego are beyond me uh but if you are a lego fan let me know does that sound about right you know 3700 pieces 360 bucks does that sound about right i mean i uh, i never i never got into lego it just, it seemed like once you built it and and then then what i don't i mean maybe just the journey uh is the lego sets you build along the way uh, the, you know, I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure, but I definitely will probably buy this one because, uh, it looks awesome and it's D and D and I'm, I'm a, I'm a total simp for D and D as you probably well know as a result, yes, as by listening to this show. Uh, and speaking of this show, before we get back to it, let's jump into the DMs guild, into the homebrew corner of the week. We're talking about a sentient weapon. We're talking about Kazidheya. So I looked on the DMs Guild and see what kind of what kind of shenanigans can we get into, and there is something from Unraveled Archives, Michael Rollins and Caleb Wilden. This has five star rating. It is the sentient weapon, a new combination of race and class. So this isn't a, a list of sentient weapons that you can wield. This isn't. Uh, a way to create sentient weapons. This is you. This is a player character to be a sentient weapon, become a weapon of legend. Uh, it has twenty-one subclasses, campaign props, optional rules. Uh, there are five new magic items as well, five new spells, five new backgrounds. Uh, so yeah, you become you become an ancient uh, a sentient weapon. It, it you can uh, it teaches you how to tell a story of how you came to be and who created you. 
You draw on your magical origin to fuel unique abilities and cast spells. You unlock your potential by choosing major and minor properties. You develop a relationship with your bearer, and you fight as a single unit. So this is super interesting. I don't know that I've ever seen the, uh, the ability to actually play as a weapon, which is very freaking cool. Uh, and on top of all that, it's only nine ninety five. For all this, you get the PDF for less than ten bucks. Uh, it's it's a gold seller, so it's sold tons of copies. And like I said, five star rating. It's it, it's incredible. Check it out. Link in the show notes. Let's jump back to the show. Welcome back. We're talking sentient weapons, in particular, Hazid Heya, which is uh, which is a sword that uh, I believe R.A. Salvatore created for his uh, Legend of Dritz series and has uh, shown up in several books, has its own comic book series, its own uh, miniseries, which is something that I don't know that I uh, can say for any sword. Yeah, yeah, I, I can't think of one. So we talked about its potential origins, talked about um, some of its properties. It can change uh, its pommel, its hilt, based on whoever wields it to become like more attractive to the wielder. Which I think at, at the end of the episode, we should discuss if we were to wield Kazidheya, I think we should discuss what the what the pommel would look like for each of us. I agree. So this is very serious. I'm taking this very seriously. I'm taking this very seriously. So at one point, uh Dritz comes into possession of Cutter, as we reg- as we said um in the first half of the show, by defeating Dantrag, Ban Ray, uh, and combat. So uh he prefers the versatility of his scimitars, Twinkle and Icing Death. So he gives Cutter to Catibri. You know, having a will of its own, the sword originally refused the human as its owner, but Cadbury's own strength of will proved to be enough, and eventually Cutter accepted her, and its pommel turned into the form of Gwenhyver, the panther and and Dritz's companion, uh, with symbols of dwarven gods etched into its side. This is, of course, uh, a tribute to her husband, Dritz, uh, and as also her adoptive uh, dwarven father, Bruner Battlehammer. So that's cool. Like, so it's, you know, that, that seems, that seems sweet. It but, does. Then, but then again, like it's also Cadbury's will enforced on it rather than its will enforced on Cadbury. And Cadbury's a, a swell, a swell hero of a gal. It's, pretty badass too that Drizzt gets hold of this weapon and it's a total power move that he's like nah I'm gonna nah. stick with with the with my scimitars and then gives it to uh his love like yeah. that's like a real like uh like primo like boyfriend or husband move I don't know where they are in their relationship when he hands it over uh well I mean either way I mean it's I, I mean it's it's a power move it's it's I don't see how anyone could be given a demonic sentient sword uh, as a gift and not and, fall in love and not fall in love. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
so as we stated earlier, Kazuteya demands combat. It thirsts for it. Uh, and uh, But there was a period of time where Caterbury could not satisfy its lust. So what had happened was Caterbury is injured in a battle against the orc king Obold Many Arrows. And Caterbury is unable to wield the sword. Caterbury is unable to fight, thus cannot wield Cutter. So what what is a demonic weapon to do in a situation like this? <laughs> um, well, and this like before where I was like, you know, I mentioned how nice it was that the pommel took the shape of of her love's companion and her adoptive father's gods. Um, well, this is the flip side of that. This is what uh, this when Cutter has its his own way. This is what will happen. Uh, what it does is it essentially forces a former tavern wench to her death. That's so so thirsty for blood. Cutter forces Deli Curdy, who is Wolfgar's wife. Wolfgar, the companion of the hall, um, once betrothed to Cadbury. Um, yeah, I know. Yeah, I know, but. They thought he had died, and and we'll we'll get we'll get through this entire like we'll get really in depth on the entire like uh legend of Dritz as we continue the legend of Dritz episodes. Uh, we've got a couple coming up with a very special guest that I'm very excited about. Uh, but so Wolfgar marries um this this tavern wench, um they he they fall in love with each other, and um. They had adopt, uh, they adopted a girl together, but she is she falls under the the seduction of Cutter. Um, the sword forces Delhi to leave Wolfgar, leave their adopted daughter behind, and travel toward Orc country, <laughs> travel behind enemy lines uh, toward uh, toward Obald and 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 his crew and his homies. So after many miles of travel and now fully under the control of Kazatea, Delhi comes upon a group of orcs and just straight Leroy Jenkins. I'm talking no stealth, <laughs> no strategy, just murder hobo vibes. Which again, this uh, this is it doesn't care for anything other than combat. And so rather than perhaps you know, try to come up with some kind of strategy. She just flies headfirst into battle. Except she's just a regular person. She's not a warrior like like her husband or like Dritz or like Caterbury. She's just a regular lady, you know, that got seduced by this demonic sword. <laughs> right. It's like what would happen if you or I tried to rush into battle. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, I mean, she ends up taking a couple of them down. Uh, even after getting two arrows shot into her side. Um, but then the archer plunges another arrow into her chest while a fourth or orc buries his sword into her back and the woman falls to the ground, still and lifeless. The sword which brought her her ruin falls to the ground in front of her. At that point, Kazatea passes around, uh, is passed around the orc camp for a while until finally returning to Dritz, 
who wields it in his battle against Obald. Now, Obald, many arrows himself would wield Cutter for a brief period of time. But when the sentient sword demanded the Orc King wield the weapon as his, as his own, because the, the sword will talk to you telepathically. And so he's telling Obald, like, take me, wield me, use me to, to smite your enemies. Uh, he assumed it was drow trickery on the part of Dritz, <laughs> which you know, not an absurd thing to think. No. That uh, that a drow would leave a sword, would have, would have a sword, use it against you, leave it there, and then all of a sudden the sword is telling you to pick it up and use it. It sounds like a trick. It 100% sounds like a trick. Uh, so he said, uh-uh. No way, Jose plunges Kazatea into armor uh, that uh, that Obald leaves behind. And sometime later, the renegade drow Tosun Armgo, who was an advisor of Obald, finds a sword and takes it up. And despite a brief period when the sword is being studied by Moonwood Elves, the sword pretty much remains with Tosun and his family. And this is all this all takes place in the Legend of Dritz book, The Orc King. So then over a hundred years after the events of the Orc King novel, Tosun decided to pass on Kazetea to one of his children. He has a son and a daughter. And of course, whenever you're trying to determine inheritance between two children. What better mm-hmm. way than to have them duel? <laughs> yeah, if if I ever have kids, that's one hundred percent. It's like, well, okay, look, which one of you wants my Star Wars book collection? All right, y'all start <laughs> fighting for it. Uh, so the two, uh, Duamwell and Tirflin, they duel with Duamwell coming out victorious. However, due to the demonic influence of the sword, Tirflin attempts to kill his sister with Cutter in the middle of the night. Domwell ends up killing her brother in self-defense, but flees her home, taking the sword with her. And the sword has remained more or less with her since then, continuing to poison her with thoughts of anger and revenge. And this is an excerpt from Vengeance of the Iron Dwarf by R.A. Salvatore. She couldn't go back to Menzo Berenzen. She couldn't return to her mother and her clan. She had nowhere to go and no hope of getting there. A jolt of pain stabbed at her like a lightning bolt, and she sucked in her breath and blew away her tears and her dismay and looked down at the source, at her sentient sword. We will find course, Kazidhea promised her, reminding her again of the plan it has revealed to her. You will be welcome in the city of the Spider Queen, the sword telepathically promised. You will do what the son of House Bane Ray cannot. You will shame him, and so you will be held above him. Duamwell nodded, trusting the blade. From the sword, she knew the way to acceptance, and knew, too, the way to vengeance. So, not... I love the idea of a of a talking thinking weapon. I mean, and, and something and 
longtime listeners uh, and probably even short time listeners have probably gleaned this already. I really dig the evil stuff, like the really mm-hmm. evil and despicable stuff. So this kind of, you know, Kazidreya uh, or Kazidreya uh, is definitely right in my wheelhouse. So were you to wield this sword, this magical demonic sword <laughs> that changes its pommel to be more attractive to its wielder to I guess to uh to resemble the wielder's personality, mentality, uh in some way. If you, Lord TA Sean, were to wield the sword, what would the pommel look like? So this is me exerting my will upon it too, right? Um let's 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 go both ways. Let's say um upon initial reaction picking up the sword before you're able to exert any kind of will on it what would it look like to attract you to be like hey that's a pretty cool looking sword i want to pick it up and um, then let's say your will was strong okay. enough to to dominate and then what would it look like after that like what would be what would catch your eye and then what would you be which i feel are two different things cuz i i didn't know what it was called yeah yeah absolutely um so okay all right so for me i think if it wanted to catch my attention uh the easiest way it could do that and i looked up the name of the sword because i didn't realize it had a name uh would it would have the handle of the sword of omens from thundercats which uh, i invite Lino all of you song? to yeah yeah okay with the little with the little red drag which is still i think one of the most iconic sword designs i've ever seen like i i that would get my attention Um, if I could shape it into anything, we we were just joking about my star Wars book collection. I would actually turn the pommel into the pommel of a lightsaber. So it would look like Anakin Skywalker, specifically his lightsaber, which is my, I think the designed lightsaber, uh, in all of the star Wars movies, books, whatever that I've seen. Um, I just like the way it looks kind of, um, it's it's elegant, but it's also like very gadgety. It looks like somebody who knows a lot about technology put it together. I don't know. I don't yeah. know any other way to describe it, but um, I would I would make it look that way because that's the coolest object in the galaxy, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Fair enough. Both solid choices. Uh, I know Darkwing is like fist pumping at the idea of your your version of Kazadhea looking like the Sword of Omens. Uh, so for me, if I if I were to come upon this this sentient sword and it shaped its pommel to uh, to resemble you know something that would attract me, something that would make me want to pick it up, it would look like. And for there was a period of time when I was a big I I, I like the Power Rangers, but I was obsessed with the Green Ranger. Mm-hmm. I mean, because if if you watch the Power Rangers that week where the Green Ranger showed up and just gave them the business, that Every was day. that was the most tense time in your childhood. <laughs> that was a good week, yeah. and so uh, I was obsessed with the Green Ranger, uh, and then subsequently became obsessed with the White Ranger when you know when when the Green Ranger lost all his powers as a, as a result of a green candle, <laughs> and uh, came back as the White Ranger, and then he had that 
that he had Saba, that talking lion sword or tiger sword, uh, that looked so terrible. Like the an- the animation of it looked so awful. But uh, <laughs> it was pretty bad. Yeah, if I if I saw a sword that looked like the White Ranger sword with Saba on the you know talking Saba on the hilt, yeah, I would absolutely pick that up one hundred percent, no questions asked. Uh, now, if I were to bend it to my will. If I were able to control the sword and dominate it, and it took the shape, the the pommel took the shape of what I would want it to be. It would probably look. It would probably have, uh, like the the Dungeons and Dragons amp, a dragon ampersand on it somewhere. Mm. Uh, maybe uh, there would be a place for like a hidden compartment for some kind of writing utensil. And some kind of like a quill or in a some kind of parchment that I could quickly like jot down notes for lore. <laughs> um, I think that's probably what uh, that's probably what it would look like, and probably really ornate, not not like baroque ornate, not super gaudy, but you know something that um, that you would see like in a classic um, like King Arthur movie or or TV show. Like something sure. like you know what, what Excalibur would look like, almost uh, almost a cer- almost ceremonial, but still still be to be used in battle. Functional, right? Absolutely. So, so yeah, let us know uh, how Kazetea would look like in your hands. Like I said, you can jump on the Discord. You can email us at dndlorecast at gmail Follow us on all the socials. Uh, we that's all we love to do is just talk D and D. There's there's nothing if I could spend the rest of my life doing nothing but talking DD, I would I would die the happiest man. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of your life, even for this brief moment in time. We hope that you come back next week. My name is Sergio. My name is Sean. Fare thee well, dear listener. And until we meet again, may all your 20s be natural. Thank you for listening to the Dungeons and Dragons Lorecast. If you've enjoyed the show, consider following us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at DD Lorecast, or jumping into the Robots Radio Discord to chat more with us about Dungeons and Dragons. We'll see you soon. Listening to a Robots Radio podcast. Smart shows for interesting people. Check out all the shows at robotsradio.net.